Hey everyone and welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where our mission is to deliver all the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything related to the Pilates industry to you to help you grow your dreams and your businesses right now. My name's Glenn Withers and I'm one of the founders of APPI Health Group and that includes APPI Education, our APPI Clinic Centres around the UK and our APPI Online Product Business where you can get everything and anything you need for your Pilates studios or home use. So welcome to the uh, fourth of our Pilates 101 episodes and this is an episode that I'm extremely excited about and we start to move on to the sort of concept that we want this podcast to be in a little bit sort of more detail and we asked you guys who you would like us to interview on the podcast and we've got a number of industry leaders around there. And I guess I'm a little biased, but I was delighted that the overwhelming person you guys wanted to hear from more than anyone else was my fellow co-founder, Elisa Withers. So um, Elisa and I have recorded an interview that you will be able to listen to very shortly. Um, And it's it's really great. We get to talk back over Elisa's memories of, of building the business all the way from her childhood in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, sort of growth uh, involvement into Pilates as a dancer and then into um, that as a physio and a Pilates teacher and a Pilates educator and then on to a business owner as well. So it's a really great interview. Um, I hope you enjoy it. But before we get to the interview, um, as we always do on the podcast here, we like to just look at what's happening around the industry and give some uh, pointers and advice and, and the best we can in terms of helping guide you through this bizarre time we still find ourselves in. So let's have a look at the sort of latest guidance that's coming in around uh, Pilates. Uh, let's start with what we're seeing here in the UK. Um, and as many of you, our UK listeners will recall, we had the rule of six come in on the 24th of September. And there were lots of questions posed to us here at the Institute about what does that mean for us in relation to exercise classes and to Pilates classes, of course. Well, we've had a look through all of the government information um, and then it was pleasing to see that there was some more sort of guidance put out by UK Active as well. Um, but in a, in a good way, and as many of you will know by now, exercise classes were specifically made exempt from the rule of six. Um, UK Active uh, in their press release states that uh, the good news is that gym and pool activities, including grip exercise classes, are exempt from the rule of six so long as COVID-19 protocols are followed. This ruling also applies to aquaerobics classes, which are permitted to continue. So great news that our classes can continue and we are not bound by the rule of six limitation, Um, although many of us uh, don't uh, even have six people in our our classes due to social distancing measures. Um, But I guess it's that second part that is important for us to highlight, so long as the COVID-19 protocols are in place. And I think it's important that we sort of look at that and um, move on in terms of what's happening around the industry because um, I'm not sure about you, but I've certainly had a few queries and questions posted to me about the the thought or the belief that gyms and exercise environments is this hotbed of where the virus might be able to spread. Um, But interestingly enough, and in good support of our industry, uh, there's some great uh, studies and surveys going on out there as well. Um, one of uh, great interest for me um, was a study looking at over 22 million visits to fitness facilities um, during the two months following the reopening phase back in that June-July period, with the transmission rate logged as 
per 100,000 visits. So that's a very, very low figure. Um, and in addition to that, no external community transmission occurring. Um, here in the UK, um, we had a look at data from 1,500 facilities across England. Um, and that looks at a rate of 0.35 cases per 100,000 visitors. So it, it shows that when we embed the policies correctly, when we follow the guidance and deliver a safe and COVID secure environment, that actually the risk of infection in these exercise environments is very, very low. And many other businesses and many other locations obviously are much more of this hotbed that is um, sort of incorrectly put onto our exercise facilities. But again, it all comes down to creating a COVID secure environment. And it's interesting when you, you look further afield to say, okay, well, what happens when there is a positive case in a gym or an exercise environment? Well, there is a report of one positive case that I'm aware of, and that comes from a Les Mills club in Takapuna in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Now, I probably pronounced that really incorrectly, so our New Zealand listeners can correct me on that. But this was uh, a case coming on the 9th and 10th of September. Um, the, well, at the club, um, the particular person attended three group exercise classes, a body combat class on both days, as well as a spring class on the 9th of September. I'm not sure what that is, but maybe somebody out there familiar with the Les Mills program can, can tell us and let us know. Um, after the positive test, uh, the Ministry of Health identified 86 people who had come into close contact with the person, all who have since returned negative test results. The instructors that took the class were also tested and returned negative COVID-19 results. In total, 255 additional casual contacts were also tested and they all returned a negative results. So it's a real um, reflection of even if there is a case with the appropriate measures in place, the risk of transmission in our facilities in the sort of health and fitness and leisure industry can be maintained at a very, very low rate. In fact, due to the number of deep cleans that have been conducted since the infected person was at the club, the cleaning undertaken in accordance with the Ministry of Health guidelines, the um, health, uh, the sort of health provision or, or health governance society there in New Zealand advised that it was not necessary to close the club and that the club was safe to attend. So again, really good news for the club. Um, they continued to in incorporate their deep cleaning effects and they brought in antiviral fogging treatment just as additional measures, but a really positive outcome there for the club. Um, so we've got this concept of the rule of six, we've uh, had evidence there about the safety into the clubs, and we've had this case study here. So I think when you look at the data and you analyze that and look at what it is that we're doing around the world, I think we can be a, maybe a little bit more confident, a little bit more robust in our belief of the environment that we're working in today. Now before we uh, move on to, to the interview, I think the final thing for me to just address in terms of news coming across at the moment is the issue of the insurance, um, sort of blanket denial of insurance claims that was occurring here in the UK during the um, initial lockdown there from March through to June. As many of you will know, um, a lot of us that uh, put claims in for business interruption insurance were denied the claims 
by the healthcare providers. Now, this has been going on for a long time. I've addressed it in a few previous podcasts and and, um, video messages that I've sent to our members around the world. Um, But uh, the good news is that the High Court case has proceeded and we have a judgment on that. Um, And the case examined the policy wording of the eight major insurers to decide whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic should trigger a business interruption insurance payout. Um, It was overseen by Lord Justice Flo, um, and the review focused on eight specific insurers. That's Arch, Argenta, Ecoiastical, I'm obviously pronouncing that incorrectly as well, I'm sorry, Um, MS Anlin, Hiscox, QBE, RSA, and Zurich. Um, The court's rulings are expected to apply to nearly 50 insurers who have sold insurance to 370,000 customers, many of which are small businesses like most of ours. Um, so it was um, a, a, a case brought um, in a sort of class action type of format with a number of cases specifically looked at, and it all centred around the wording in your policy in relation to disease clauses and denial of access clauses. So have a look at your policy to check if, first of all, you have business interruption um, clauses in there, and then you need to look at the specific clauses Um, In particular, infectious or notifiable diseases and non-damage denial of access and public authority closures or restrictions. So that is the disease clauses and the denial of access clauses. And if you do have wording around these um, aspects in your insurance policies, then you may well um, be in in a much better position than we've ever been in to see if the insurance will actually pay out on this. Um, The FCA sought to provide clarity on the grey areas within the disease and or denial of access clauses and whether the COVID-19 pandemic should trigger a payout. It was a 150-page judgment and they ruled in favour of the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, saying that most but not all of the disease clauses provided cover. Um, Some really good statements by Christopher Woolard here, who's the interim CEO of the FCA. When he um, states that they bought the test case in order to resolve the lack of clarity and certainty that existed for many policyholders. He states that the judgment was a significant step in resolving that uncertainty and that they're grateful for the court for delivering the judgment quickly and the speed with which it was reached reflects well on all parties. Now comes the difficult part, actually getting it enforced. So already the... um, Insurance companies have obviously gone to appeal. Um, we're awaiting judgment on that appeal. So there's nothing really we can do at the moment. Um, I've been in contact with the insurance brokers, Balens, who sort of are the intermediary between many of us and Hiscox. Um, and they're advising us to sort of sit tight and, and wait on the outcome of the appeal. Now, you do need to have your claim in. Um, and if you haven't done that already, please think about um, where you're positioned to do that. Take the appropriate advice that you need. Um, But it is pleasing, gives us a little bit of hope that uh, these insurance companies might uh, actually support us for the many, many years that we've uh, been supporting them with our insurance policies. But look, uh, I think that's probably enough about COVID for now, don't you think? I think it's time for us to park that to the side for this episode. And let's focus on what we really want this episode to be about, which is Um, speaking with our fellow co-founder, Elisa Withers, and getting her view and her insight into what it's like um, from her time in Melbourne 
through to her time as a dancer and in physiotherapy school and the linking specifically that, that she sought to link physiotherapy and Pilates together in her journey from there on. We go over her um, sort of views as a business owner and an entrepreneur and building up uh, the businesses and the challenges that uh, she faced and the lessons that she learned. And there's some really great information in here, some great bits of advice from Lise. And, and I think you'll enjoy listening to her story. So for our very first uh, industry expert interview in our Pilates 101 podcast, let's hear from APPI co-founder, Elisa Withers. Okay, so welcome to the very first of our industry leader interviews here on our Pilates 101 podcast. And as promised to you all, our very first guest is my co-founder of the APPI and my wife, Elisa Withers, who's here to share her story with you all. You've been sending in your questions over the last couple of weeks, which we're very thankful for. So first of all, let me welcome to Pilates 101, Elisa Withers. Hi, everybody. It's wonderful to be speaking with you, although I must say, quite bizarre. I'm sitting here at our dining table with hubby, just having tucked up all the kids into bed, and we are switching across to work mode and um, hope to share some, yeah, some memories and some stories and highlights of our years um, past with you. Okay, so the first thing that you guys have been interested to know a little bit more about with you, Lise, is, I guess, a little bit more about what your life was like before APPI. So could you just give us a sort of little couple of minutes about your backstory, what your life was like, sort of growing up in Australia, um, your dance, and then sort of how it was that you sort of got into developing the institute and, and how we sort of ended up here in the UK? Yeah, sure. It's something I often get asked being an Aussie over here in the UK. How did I end up here? And uh, I must say, I love living here in the UK and very much consider it my home. But I did grow up in Melbourne, in the outer eastern suburbs um, of Melbourne and as a child, I was a ballet dancer and I was quite sporty, actually. I was a ballet dancer, a netballer. I was into volleyball and badminton, but my real passion was ballet. And it was through ballet that I was first introduced to Pilates. It was part of our training as a ballet dancer from a young age, um, sort of around sort of 10, 11, 12, we were doing body conditioning and Pilates and then, regrettably, sadly for my sister, who was also a ballet dancer, she encountered many injuries, which saw me accompanying her to the physiotherapist, which is where I first became really interested in the concept of dance, physio and Pilates. Um, so I, I was fortunate enough to pull off my final year of a pretty tumultuous high school experience and... Um, scraped through to enter physiotherapy school in um, Melbourne at La Trobe University. But from the outset, had a very focused vision of being a dance physio and using my knowledge of dance, physio and Pilates to help performing artists. 
And this led me to a um, particular Pilates clinic in uh, Melbourne where I, um, I would hang out. I would, I would literally hang out watching the physios and how they worked with the clients um, who were a combination of ballet dancers and um, people really from all walks of life with all different types of injuries and was just really fascinated by the approach of using specific therapeutic exercise to make such significant changes in the way people move and feel and their confidence. So sort of after spending quite a lot of time at um, this physiotherapy clinic in Australia, I was um, really fortunate enough to bag a job at the Victorian College of the Arts in, in Melbourne where I really, really, truly got to spend um, time practicing my passion, working with dancers, actors, singers, musicians, um, providing them with physiotherapy and Pilates. So it's always been a part of me. It's it's my, my sports background, my performing arts background, um, my interest in physio, and really my sort of fascination at how it all links together so nicely yes excellent and it uh it's interesting that you you talk about the sort of passion that you have within finding your place within the sort of physio dance world etc um and i certainly remember that from our time at university that you were always sort of the dance girl but it's also a memory from university days where you just seem to always have this passion to come across here to the UK. And I'm interested, and we've had questions from the uh, sort of membership out there that are like, why do you guys live in the UK and not in Australia? Or, you know, what is it about the UK that brought you over here? So I know it was something that was very clear in your head that you wanted to come to the UK after graduation at some stage. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was that was the pull to, to coming here to the UK? Yeah, it's true. I did, for as long as I can remember, actually have a burning desire to travel abroad and really, really see the world. I had a very fortunate upbringing in Melbourne, Australia. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm guessing I felt uh, that I just wanted to spread my wings. Like, I know that's, it is a very much a cliche thing to say, but um it was in it was within me from being a year 10 student begging my parents to let me go on a student exchange to Canada because it just seemed so exciting and I guess adventurous I've just um I've, I've got that streak within me I'm always perhaps looking beyond at, at the next step and what I can do next the next chapter the next adventure so yeah I always had that within me and I was always going to graduate from physiotherapy work a little bit to gain experience before ultimately heading abroad and exploring further afield and on that note the sort of journey across here to the UK I guess started with um, us being quite fortunate to get a scholarship from the Australian Physio Association to come over here to the UK and I guess combine your passions a little bit in terms of travel and Pilates and as you say, trying to sort of push things forwards and find that next step, that next challenge. Uh, so 
Can you tell us a little bit, I guess, about your experience in undergoing the Pilates training that we took initially over here in the UK? And then uh, I know that you then went on to train under additional schools as well. So do you want to tell us a little bit more, I guess, about your experience as a student of Pilates? Yeah, it was it was such a whole new world because in Australia, uh, at least back in the day when I was a physio student and practicing Pilates myself, the mainstay of Pilates was reformer based, which obviously requires very specific, uh, expensive and cumbersome machines. So to discover this world of mat work Pilates, which at that time wasn't on offer in Australia, uh, here in the UK was just beyond exciting. It was a way that I could finally practice Pilates in the living room. I could take it to people's homes. I could teach it in the NHS as a locum physio. So I was just so excited by this concept of mat work Pilates. And um, I'm sure you remember our very first training course over here was just so much fun. We were so fortunate to arrive at Michael King's Pilates Institute as our first port of call here in the UK for training. And just what a gem um, for those of you who've met Michael. I'm sure you love and adore him as much as we do. And boy, did he open our eyes to what Pilates can offer um, and just loved it. As I say, so much fun, gained so much went on to do the mat and the reformer training with Michael and uh, was so hungry for more. So after consolidating, you know, the valuable foundations that we gained with Michael, I was interested to see, well, hey, what are these other institutes doing out there? So I went on and completed my stock training as well in the mat as well as all the machines. And again, it was another wonderful insight into a different teaching style and method and I then went on again and did a, um, a further training with another South African physiotherapist uh, in a more clinical based Pilates uh, and after after sort of spending a couple of years initially here exploring and uh, practicing Pilates, it, it just became so clear that this is the way forwards as a physio in teaching rehab and therapeutic exercise. And it was also clear to us that it just needed some modification. How can we just modify this slightly to ensure safety, uh, maximal outcomes, confidence in the movements, and uh, and gain those those wonderful life changing uh, outcomes that uh, people have achieved over the years. Yes, I, uh, I I recall our time in in Michael's training very fondly. Um, I think that was probably where my desire for something to modify the technique came because uh, if you recall, it was a the mat work courses anyway. It was a group of around uh, twenty of us in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yourself and. Uh, 17 others came from a dance background um, and then there was myself and, and one other there that, that did not. Um, and I recall being the model for the exercises and um, how to work with people that don't quite have the movement capabilities that many of you had. Um, and it was at that time in, in uh, struggling to be able to do some of the ranges of movement that I was, <laughs> I was begging for some modifications for sure. 
Um, but it is what then led to ultimately the development of the APPI. And, um, you know, I recall very vividly you coming up with the visions of, you know, how do we modify this and create something that's more specific, more focused, and, and, and what you had seen in the different areas around the world, even at that stage that you had seen Pilates used. Um, and that led to us developing the Australian Physio and Pilates Institute. And so I guess what many people may not be aware of is, is how it actually started for us. And I wonder if you recall sort of those first sort of 12 months or so of when we decided to give this a shot. Could you maybe recall your sort of thoughts and memories of when it all first started for us on the teaching side? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the first thought that comes to my mind is that it it's always been a runaway train. Um, something that we never saw coming in a good way, something we could never have planned for or, um, yeah, seen coming. Um, it really evolved because we were working as NHS locums and wherever we were working our our fellow colleagues would see a little bit of what we were doing in the gym using the pilates that we had had learnt and were instantly drawn to it uh teach us a little bit can you show me what that movement is can you tell me a little bit more about this which of course we enjoyed doing um and we we sort of just gained in momentum it went from a little informal chat in between patients in between the curtains to, well, let's do a lunchtime session, which was received really well and generated more and more interest into, okay, let's do a CPD, which grew into a one-day course, mm-hmm. which quickly grew into a two-day course, which qu- quickly grew into a three-module mat work series. So it was a crazy time, it was, but it was exciting. At the end of the day, it was really exciting because we did have a little sort of nugget of knowledge that was new in the UK at that time. We're talking back the year 2000, 2001. In Australia, Pilates had been a very common um, technique form of exercise as a physiotherapist to be trained in, but here in the UK, it was virtually unheard of at the time. So it was just really wonderful to be able to pass on that knowledge to people. And at the end of teaching a course, even still now, you just have that satisfaction and that reward in in, in knowing that you have, you have given that physiotherapist a whole new bag of skills and tricks to help their help their clients to get better. And in, in such a wonderful and rewarding way, we do hear so many um, fabulous stories, not only of clients who have benefited enormously, but also of our instructors who have come along and, and taken this opportunity to branch out on their own and start a business, change their lifestyle around a Pilates-based work model rather than a, a nine-to-five. So, um, yeah, certainly didn't see any of it coming. The early days were exciting but exhausting, um, I think it was for the first two years. It was every weekend. We went to a different part of the UK far and wide to deliver the courses. And then we'd hit London um, or Wigan. Wigan was where it started. Or Burton-on-Trent oh, yeah. in some wonderful parts of the country. Um, you know, hit our NHS jobs Monday to Friday 
and then um, yeah, he- head off to the the train station or to the airport to um, some incredible parts of the UK where we met literally thousands of wonderful people that that we're still in touch with today, which is just brilliant. You can't you can't make it up. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And I think one thing that um, I'm sure many people would be interested in hearing a little bit about uh, in those early days is the the setup that we had um, because obviously we have worked hard like many people have running a business and you get to a to a certain point and sometimes it's um, uh, not as clear where it all started um, so do you recall the, the the kitchen table and the laptop and where we were taking and how we were taking the very first bookings on our mm. courses do you remember back what was happening there yeah and i i can't help but think it's it's the place where all great small businesses start it's a kitchen table family run business and it's it just sums up exactly what it is it was for sure on our little kitchen table our first ever laptop much to the excitement of us despite the fact that we didn't know how it worked <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we went out and bought our, our pay-as-you-go pay phones yeah. so that we could uh, take uh-huh. bookings on, on the bus and on the cycle to work. And then we'd have to madly call people after we finished our um, job in the NHS. But yeah, look, it's, it's, it's the stuff of a, you know, um, a small business being born, isn't it? And uh, yeah, the... yeah, that was, that was certainly our beginnings. And it was very, it was very chaotic and disorganized and unfounded and unplanned but um but you know I I think there's a lot to be said for naivety when Mm -hmm. starting any business and I think it's a shame that as you get older you you lose that naivety to a certain degree because I know for sure that we would not have taken the risks that we took back then because we simply didn't know we were taking a risk um, and we did learn rightly or wrongly, I think, very early on not to listen to many people who we told about what we were doing because we were often sort of kind of looked upon as if, what do you mean you're doing that? Is that really going to work? And are you sure you should be doing that? You're only young. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, you leave this to other people but you know what? If we had have left it to older other people, um, you know, the method wouldn't be where it is here in the UK right now. I'd like to think. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, you know, as it is now around the world in many different countries in many different languages. I mm. don't think we, you know, I have such vivid memories of uh, scrambling in our backpack for the, as you say, the pay-as-you-go mobile phone because it was ringing, and we were <laughs> like, that might be somebody for the course. We, <laughs> put our advert in the Frontline magazine and answered the phone madly, trying to pretend that we weren't actually on a bus coming home and trying to be as professional as we could. Um, and it was fascinating, actually. I think it was obviously pre-COVID, but late last year, somebody came back to a, a refresher day or something and they bought the the old yellow two-fold um, folder that we oh, used to wow. put our printed out manuals okay. in when we very first started and, and two like, ring binder two ring binder the wow. yellow two ring binder brilliant because back in the day obviously we had different colors we had the blue and the yellow colors and mm. a completely different logo and everything so it is it is really fascinating and i think as you've said it's 
great for people to just have that confidence in trying, right? Because you never know. Um, give it a shot and see where it takes you, I guess. Um, but it is um, that concept that uh, a lot of people have asked some questions about as well in terms of that transition from physiotherapist, uh, clinician, to business owner and entrepreneur and whether you always had that in you or whether that evolved and uh, I guess your sort of when you look back was was running your own business something you always had a passion to do or, or how do you reflect on that transition yeah look that's an interesting one I certainly never imagined myself as a small business owner and even when we started APPI and running the courses and probably even after we started opening the clinics I still probably never considered myself as a small business owner because to be honest I I didn't really have any idea what that meant in our family we didn't have any small business owners um, so it was very out the box for me and it did just evolve very organically so um I love being an owner of a small business. I'm very passionate about being a small business owner and supporting other small business owners. And I'm very glad it's worked out this way, but it's it's certainly nothing that I planned. And I would say it's it's certainly nothing that I definitely had the skill set for. I had no business acumen. I had no sense of everything around running a clinic, the many different hats that you will have to wear as owner operator from employment law to solicitors in gaining the lease to budgeting, which I still can't get my head around. Um, Yeah, you have no skills in any of these areas as a physiotherapist. So it's a huge learning curve and you have to be kind to yourself because you can't know it all. And you have to be confident in your own knowledge because you will get told time and time again that you're doing it right. Why don't you do it like this? How dare you consider it? Yeah, or you're doing it wrong, um, which is, is, is fine, but tough actually, especially if you are just starting out and we all know what that feels like. You're working 18, 20 hour days for... Um, very little return and you're putting a lot on the line so you just have to you have to keep the faith in yourself and uh, and and your vision and um, yeah yeah I think it's um, I think one thing that you've said there I think is um, one bit of advice I guess now having run a business for 20 years that we're looking back on this is that concept of being kind to yourself Mm. Um, I think that's a really important part of a small business owner and and knowing that you wake up every single day and you do the best you can on that day. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, that's looked at differently by other people, but you uh, you have that solid belief every day that you're doing the best you can. Um, and I think if I look back on our time, that would be something that I would sort of give advice out and to sort of accept that you do the best you can every day. You might not be able to do everything you wanted to do. In fact, you very rarely get to do that. Um, but that concept of just being satisfied that you've, you, you've given it all today and that's okay. What you've done is, is okay. Um, and that's really interesting to hear um, come out in, in sort of your memories there. 
And so I guess as um, we look back or, or we can sort of continue a reflection of the journey that was looking at the development of the education side of our business and it sort of spiralled from then on and developed into international partners and, and evolved over the coming years. Um, but I guess the next sort of step in our journey was opening our own studio and our own clinic. Um, and I wonder if you can sort of just think back. Uh, I recall taking you to the Hampstead site that very first time. <laughs> and I wonder if you can share with the listeners sort of both your, your memories of that and then your sort of um, ideas and thoughts about those the sort of early years of running the, our, our first studio. Yeah, look, I, I've got really clear and fond memories of that time. Um, the more teaching we did around the UK, the more often we were getting asked to have clients referred to us so that we could um, use our physiotherapy and Pilates approach with their clients. Uh, however, working as a, a locum physio in the NHS, it's not possible to receive referrals. So we you know, without really thinking much, we took on a huge leap of faith and decided to open up our own clinic in London. We weren't living in London at the time. And um, however, I was teaching and working in London at the London Studio Centre in King's Cross. And so I thought it would be a good idea at the end of my injury prevention lesson to ask the wonderful students if they were to open up a physio and pilates clinic anywhere in london where would they choose and it was really like overwhelming response that it would be hampstead and i'd never heard of hampstead but i thought okay let me check out hampstead so we came i came home from work that day and we 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 did a search and this wonderful gorgeous looking property came up on the edge of the hampstead heath and the, it had a beautiful picture outwardly looking from the building over the gorgeous Hampstead Heath. So we booked a viewing and we came to view the property. And, um, you know, again, through our naive eagerness and optimism and, and wanting it to be perfect, we sort of overlooked the fact that it was um, the premise of a ex-company interior design business that had unfortunately gone bust and done a runner in the middle of the night. So the property was absolutely crammed floor to ceiling with sample fabrics, tiles, carpets, curtains, decorations. Um, and we thought, well, that's okay because that will all have to get moved out. And we progressed. We, again, um, I don't know how, but we managed to get a bank loan and we signed on the dotted line. And of course, looking back now, all of that stuff was still in there on <laughs> moving in day. So we spent the first couple of weeks clearing out um, what was to become our beautiful Hampstead Clinic, which we still love and treasure very much today, which has grown from... Um, the size that it were when we, we we first took on the lease. But I do remember the early days. Clearly, we had quite a bit of decorating and reno work to do, as we all do when we open up a site. And we had some, some great little nosy neighbours <laughs> popping by frequently, eager, though, to know when we were opening. What are we doing and when are we opening? When can I come and see? And so that was really encouraging and I must say, from the day that we opened our doors, people people just came. Again, we weren't marketeers. We mm. maybe had a poster on the front door. 
So word spread pretty quickly, though, about this unique approach of physiotherapists teaching Pilates. You know, back in 2002, again, this was virtually unheard of. There was the wonderful Alan Herdman teaching, and um, he, he, was, he was rare. You know, people didn't know this approach. So uh, we, we kind of whipped up some interest in the locals, which was fab, and, and really it just grew and grew from there. And uh, really loved those days when we worked in the clinic all day long and uh, got to know everyone really closely. Yes, it, it was. And at the same time, obviously, we still had the education going. So, um, you know, like many of you are out there are probably right now, it was uh, 13 hour days in the clinic, wasn't it? We were open eight till nine. We worked then and then every Friday night, we'd head off in our different directions and then teach the courses each weekend and then come back and, and continue on. And I guess when you look back on it, it sort of, at the time, you didn't even think about it too much, right? Because you just, you kept going. It was what we loved. We had passion to grow our business. So, um, you know, like everyone that's out there, you know, there is a lot of time and effort that goes into building any aspect um, of a business. But we were fortunate enough that we did get good support early on. We had some good people around us early on in the team that uh, we were we were fortunate enough to come and join us in those early days. Um, and then that obviously inspired us to open our, our second studio in Wimbledon. Um, what's your sort of memories of why we chose Wimbledon and how we came across that as a site and then I guess the, the development of, of that centre as well? Yeah, I... I, I guess we've always dreamt of having several sites and in order to um, spread our reach, I suppose, we were we were interested in southwest London and um, we were drawn to Wimbledon. It's beautiful. It's got a gorgeous village. It's got it's got a similar feel to Hampstead. Um, it's it's a it's beautiful leafy green the common is right by our Wimbledon uh, clinic and we felt that this is fab you know we're going to be able to reach those people in northwest London and now we can reach the people in southwest London and again at the time that we opened in 2007 it was still very unheard of that physios are teaching Pilates for rehabilitation so again, early on, we were just very lucky to have a wonderful demand for the, for the service and a genuine interest from the local community. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it worked great in terms of having a centre in the sort of northwest and something in the southwest as far as um, you know, our referral sources and people sending to us to be able to have that sort of scope across London, which is, is still um, a, a great aspect of what we have today um so we have now we have this sort of set up building where we have the two locations we have the education running we've got the international side starting to grow and so things are, are starting to develop um within the business and, and now you have multiple things that we're trying to juggle so having gone from that kitchen table to the two sites and, and the education side building and the certification building, etc. Um, we've had quite a lot of, of questions in about looking back now, and obviously the story continues on, you know, another six, seven years past when, when those things were opening. Um, but 
as a business owner now, if you were to sort of look back over that period of time and, and to now, what would you say is sort of some of the key lessons you've learned as a business owner specifically within this Pilates and physiotherapy sort of industry and world? Oh, good question. I would say that I feel I feel confident and happy that the combination of physiotherapy and Pilates is a very unique approach and a very effective approach uh, when rehabilitating and preventing injuries. So it's it's very humbling that we've been able to teach people across the UK and in across very different settings in the UK from the NHS to private practice to the Ministry of Defence to the fire rehab services uh, to schools as well as many sporting teams so I guess I feel very um, very confident in the message that we've been able to to help spread about the wonderful method that Pilates is Um, I guess business lessons I think an important one for people starting out in business and perhaps for those of us who are who are running our businesses now is to really resist comparing your business to anybody else's business and even more so resist trying to replicate other people's business it's you know it's very easy to fall into traps of always thinking someone else is doing it better I wish I could do it the way they're doing it. Why don't we do it like that? Or gee, I wish I had that corporate background so that running the business would be so much easier. But actually, it's far more productive. It's far more effective and far far more satisfying when you can let all of that go and be happy with what you're doing and what your approach is because it is your business. You know it like nobody else. You own it like nobody else ever will. So my advice is to keep it as your own. Yeah, good advice. So let me ask uh, one further thing on that that, uh, that's come in recently. And a question that we do get asked a little bit is um, in relation to Pilates equipment, and often people will ask us, okay, so I, I can't get all the equipment. I've only got a small space. I'm just starting out. Um, I don't have a huge budget behind me. So if we think about the equipment, and by the equipment I'm talking more, you know, reformer, CAD, chair, barrel. If you were starting out today, you only had a small space, um, and say you could only get two pieces of equipment, and you didn't have a whole lot of space. Of the equipment out there, what would be the two pieces of equipment that that you would go for? Ooh, controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's going to have their own take on this because it's your personal preference, isn't it? I'd like to start off by saying I love all of the pieces of equipment. I think they're just genius by Joseph. They're so unique. I mean, who could dream up something like the wonder chair? Um But to answer your question, for me, it's actually pretty clear. It would be a reformer, not a combination reformer, but a proper standard reformer. 
And my second piece of equipment, if I was able to indulge myself, would be the chair, the wonder chair, which is a little unknown gem, I think. And perhaps we need to get spreading the word about the chair um, more so over the coming months because the chair is such a wonderfully diverse piece of equipment. It takes up minimal space. It's a lot more affordable and it's so functional with so many movements being performed upright in sitting, in standing, in supported kneeling squats. I just love it. You know, I just, I love, I love the chair. So it would be the reformer for the, the pure, uh, comprehensive nature of the reformer and it would be the chair okay excellent now that wasn't set up at all that was an off-the-cuff <laughs> question there um but it is interesting because i would be exactly the same mm. um uh, the reformer in the chair without a doubt i mean i just love the functional work on the chair i have to say from a, a rehab and a functional retraining point of view i think the chair's brilliant um and so uh Moving on uh, a little bit, we have many requests coming in um, for me to ask you more about uh, the the world that you have outside of just being a a leader within this industry. And as many of you out there will know, um, Elisa and I have five children. Um, and as you can uh, probably reflect on when you look at a lot of your Instagram posts, it's the ones with the kids that seem to get the most uh, replies and looks and views and what have you. So the overwhelming question beyond all of what I've asked you already that people wanted me to pose to you was, can you tell us how on earth you manage life as a business owner, as a Pilates educator, uh, and a mummy of five children? What what is your life like? <laughs> well, I feel if, if I had all the answers to that, I'd be pulling the white rabbit out of the hat. It would be one of those moments. Um, but it's far from that in reality, <laughs> as you can, you can back me up on. Uh, I, th- I think like everybody, it's, it's, um, it's a juggle and you're constantly juggling balls and on some days you drop most of them and on other days you do better. And coming back to what you said, you do have to uh, accept that you're never going to have the perfect day and that that you have to be kind to yourself and, and try and find what you have achieved in a day. Because I think again, we're all quite hard on ourselves and we all um, overestimate our capabilities. It's great to be ambitious, don't get me wrong, uh, but at the end of the day, um, life outside of work is equally important. And um, as a mummy with five children, they they are very much my first priority. So um, I enjoy the fact that my work, however, is extremely flexible now that our clinics and our our education business is established it would be much harder starting out now with young children Uh, i very much um, appreciate that flexibility Um, i very much love the fact that it pilates and movement represents a healthy life which is what i want for our children i feel that they see what we do and they take inspiration from that which is 
which is wonderful. Um, but in terms of how I manage everything, um, I, I just don't have a great answer for that one. I'm sorry, everyone. It's highly variable. Um, so over to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, I think why don't we just leave that there and people can uh, create their own picture of how what our mornings look like, shall we say, because it's a, it's a, a, a paradise of calm, um, which is not true. But why don't you guys think about that? Um, all right, well, look, it, it has been um, fascinating, even from my side, just reflecting on our story so far. Um, and we've been able to answer a lot of the uh, questions that people have posed in. So I, I do hope you guys have really enjoyed hearing the uh, the story and hearing it from Elise's point of view. Um, the final question uh, that we have posed to you there is if you are to have a think back about everything that you have achieved in your business life so far, and I'll, I'll make that uh, clarification there because if I ask you what you're most proud of, obviously it would be the children. So if we take that as a given and we take it from a business side, as you look back, what would you say you're most proud of that you've achieved in your business life so far? Ooh, great one to finish up on. And for me, I'd have to say it's twofold. I'd have to say, first of all, it's being able to be a vocal part of the Pilates movement around the world. I'm very proud that we've created this platform that speaks of the wonderful work that Joseph Pilates did. I'm, I feel very, very happy that uh, we are continuing on his legacy and that we um, are teaching people around the world how to help others create movement um, opportunities, confidence and restore lifestyles to what they dream them to be. And then secondly, I guess speaking from my more small business owner hat, it's I love that APPI, the teacher training, gives our students the opportunity to evolve as professionals. And I just love hearing back from all you guys, all your wonderful stories and your bravery about branching out and opening up on your own. We've had we've had wonderful students during lockdown open up Pilates studios. I mean hats off super impressive but I, I I love that I love that this method affords people the opportunity to change their professional pathway and it's not only a professional pathway as we um, also gain the reward of the flexibility of, of of running your own business around your family and building a life that is hopefully more in tune with your vision of what you want it to be. Okay, excellent. Well, look, thank you for taking the time in the evening here on our kitchen <laughs> table to uh, share your thoughts and, and memories with um, myself and with all the listeners out there that are listening to the podcast so far. So, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed hearing the stories and you'll hear more and more of these interviews in the podcast as we move forward. On the next episode here, we'll be chatting to Leslie Abrahams, our, uh, one of our APPI master trainers and our license holder out of South Africa. Um, Leslie's also got his own physio and Pilates studios around the place. So 
our, our next uh, interview will be with Leslie Abrahams. But now, uh, Lise, let me say thank you very much for your time. And on behalf of the Pilates community out there, thank you for sharing your ideas and your memories with us all. Thank you for having me. I think it's an absolute miracle that we have gotten through an entire podcast without a single child appearing for any want or need. So thank you for having me. Yes, and they were warned. All right, thank you guys. We will uh, see you next time. Bye for now. And welcome back. And I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing to Elise's uh, story there and her insights and her advice maybe for those of you that are that are starting out some really great information I think that uh, that came out of that and it made me think about some additional things that we could do on the podcast here like uh, previewing the equipment a little bit more for you guys and um, looking at you know maybe some of our favorite exercises on the specific equipment or um, how we we use the equipment in certain ways um, other class ideas, research ideas, etc. So, um, look, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pilates 101. Um, we're very keen to continue to evolve the podcast to be exactly what you guys want. So, please do give us some feedback. Um, send emails into the institute. It's info at appihealthgroup.com. Have a look on the website at appihealthgroup.com and give us any feedback or sort of wishes for what you want us to cover. For those of you that um, took part in our survey that we put out over this uh, past week, we learned some great information about what it is that you're wanting from us, and so we'll continue to work as hard as we can to deliver that to you. But for now, uh, I'll say you goodbye, thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of Pilates 101. Bye for now.